0: Have you ever been invited to a Christmas cookie exchange? Do you love them? I don't. A good story takes us on a journey. It reminds us of where we've been and shows us where we could go. A good story makes us feel and inspires us to act. Welcome to the Good Story Podcast, where everyday stories that make you laugh, cry, or feel slightly uncomfortable will leave you inspired as Kirsten King tells true stories and teaches truth. I've missed you. It's been six months since we've aired new episodes of Good Story. I was speaking at an event this past fall, and a woman came up to me and said, Are you okay? And I said, Yeah. And she said, Well, I haven't heard from you for months. Then she asked what my plans for the podcast were. I told her, oh, I had just taken some time off because we were traveling a lot in the summer, going to weddings, and then my fall was crazy busy with speaking weekends, and I was like, blah, 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 and she said, you took a bit of time off. You've taken months away, and she was right. I have, so for those of you, like she, who are wondering if I'm okay, I am. Thanks for asking. Thanks for wondering, and I pray that you are, too. As I sat down to write today's story, I got a Facebook message from a woman saying she took me to Florida with her. She was visiting her husband's sister, and we were going on walks together as she listened to the Good Story podcast, she said. Well, Bev, I imagine you enjoyed the weather a little bit more than I did, but I am grateful we could spend some time together. Speaking of spending time together, that reminds me of a time when I was invited to a Christmas party. <laughs> How's that for a transition? I've been invited to Christmas parties since, but I remember this one because I'd recently moved to a new area, and I was grateful for an opportunity to meet new people. I remember it also because it was the very first time I had invited been invited to participate in a Christmas cookie exchange. Does that sound like anything familiar, anything any of you have done, a Christmas cookie exchange? Well, I'd never heard of it before, just to tell you the truth, so I didn't know what to expect. I was told, we're having a Christmas cookie exchange and there will be about 12 to 15 of us attending. Okay, sounded fun to me. And what I envisioned was a bunch of us, well, 12 to 15 (laughs) to be exact, arriving at this woman's home on that Saturday morning, excited to have a morning off, enjoying a cup of hot cider. I didn't drink coffee yet. That addiction came later. And chatting while we ate all the cookies that we brought. Lots of Christmas cookies being exchanged and eaten immediately. I decided I should probably bring maybe, I don't know, two dozen in case people liked them and wanted seconds. Now, if you have participated in a cookie exchange before, you might be thinking, oh, she's got it all wrong and I'm so nervous for her. Well, don't worry. Hang in there. But if you haven't participated in a cookie exchange before, let me enlighten you a bit. There are a few different ways of doing this apparently. And one is not to come to the party, put your cookies on a plate, and then just eat everybody's up while we talk and stuff. That's not right. That's not what that is. That isn't even listed as a possibility if you Google cookie exchange. What is listed is stuff like this, and I'll paraphrase just to save some time because we all don't need to hear this person's ideas for themes and color schemes and stuff like that. But what they do say is when you invite your guests, you should give them at least three to four weeks Advance time to prepare. They suggest hosting an exchange brunch on a Saturday and or Sunday to increase attendance. And they say 10 to 15 guests is probably the ideal number. So clearly the person who invited us knew what she was doing. They also said, make sure you carefully write out the recipe you make so that you're careful not, you know, to, so you write it out so that you're careful to include any allergens. Well, you don't, <laughs> oh my goodness. You're not trying to include allergens, like how many can I put in my cookies, but you just let people know what you put in them, all right? At any rate, the rules, they go on and on, but I'm not going to. Clearly, I shouldn't. I'll just skip that now. I'll just tell you how I found out about the rules in my cookie exchange, okay? Another woman who had been invited called and asked me what kind of cookie I was making, and then she asked if I was told how many to make. I told her ah, I'm kind of debating about what kind to make because my mom made so many different kinds, and I just couldn't decide. I also was very young. Did I say this? I was had been married for a bit. I don't know, five six years, and we had four kids under. Um, we had four kids in four years, and they were all little, and so we were home. So I had like low exposure to life, and certainly cookie exchanges and recipes and all that. Anyway, I told her I, I couldn't decide because my mom made so many different kinds. I also told her I hadn't made any yet. I told her I was planning on bringing like 24. She said, that's not enough though. She said, let me call and I'll find out and then I'll let you know. So she called me back shortly afterwards and said, okay, we're each supposed to bring, um, well, there's 15 people coming. So we should need to bring a dozen for each person. I was like, what? She's like, yeah. So I'm like, so 15 people are coming and people are gonna eat whatever 15 times 12 is of cookies? She then asked if I'd ever been to a cookie exchange before. Clearly I had not. So she told me, no, what happens is each person brings just one kind of cookie, all right? And then we swap them with all the others. So instead, with this upcoming season of having to bake lots of kinds of cookies, we just crank one kind out and then share them. So you'll take a dozen home of everybody's kind. So we'll all be set. I felt like I had just gotten a chain letter that I didn't want once I heard that. Also, this was Thursday night, uh, giving me the next day to shop and bake, oh, and work, and then, and yes, watch my four kids. I didn't think I had time to make 15 dozen of anything. I wasn't less excited about the party because it was Christmas and stuff, but I was definitely feeling overwhelmed. And then I remembered one of the cookies that my mom used to make all the time that you didn't need to bake them. And you could crank out a whole bunch at once. All you needed was almond bark, rice krispies, and peanuts. I loved those. Later In later years, she started adding dried cranberries for like some pizzazz in color. A little bit of red, she'd say. No, thanks. I did not see those as an upgrade. I was always bummed when I'd see the little white fluffs of cookies with red in them. So the next day I went to the store and I bought my big bricks of almond bark. I didn't even know how much to buy. So I just bought a bunch of almond bark, family-sized boxes of Rice Krispies, and a big bag of peanuts. I mixed everything together, dropped them after I melted the almond bark, dropped them by spoonfuls onto wax paper. And then I set them outside so they dry super fast. So they cool off super fast. I mean, Then I ran back out to the store to buy cute paper plates to put them on because I forgot to do that when I bought the ingredients, returned with the paper plates, arranged a dozen of these cookies on each one, covered them with saran wrap, slapped on a bow and stacked them in a box to bring the next day. I arrived right on time to the Christmas party. And yes, others arrived with plates upon plates with their Christmas cookies as well. I've since actually been told by someone that it's a little tacky to bring no-bake cookies to these things. But truly, that was the least of my concerns. Showing up as a little tacky is about par for me. Believe me, it got worse. If I was just worried about the no bakes, that would have been no problem. All right. So I sat down at the dining room table and listened while the people talked of past shared experiences and people that they knew definitely felt like the new person. We ate egg bake and hot fruit and homemade cinnamon rolls I was sitting here thinking, I want to mind at a cinnamon roll exchange. I could bring a dozen of these back home with me. After much chit chat and then ooing and eyeing over people's holiday baking. Seriously? Yep, but that's what we did. Yep. And some were pretty remarkably decorated, I will say. Fancy sugar cookies with paintings on them, like Courier and Ives, it felt like. It wasn't that fancy, but it felt like it. And there were the traditional cookies with Hershey Kisses on top or the peanut butter balls dipped in chocolate. I don't think anybody's baking those, by the way. And you better believe I was thrilled to see those things show up. I can't remember all of them. Those were just a few that stood out my mind. Oh yeah, and then when I walked in, I saw the hostess dividing everything up. I just saw that she had one extra plate of mine. I said, oh, I probably counted wrong. She said, yeah, you had 15. Oh, I counted right. Wait, what? She goes, well there are 15 of us here. So you only needed to bring 14 because you're one of the 15 and you won't bring a dozen back of your own. <laughs> okay. Small mistake. That being tacky now, also being bad at math. These are not even blips on my radar. I don't even care. But nonetheless, I did bring a dozen of my own cookies back home with myself. I said goodbyes, got in my car I was kind of excited to return with so many cookies. The other people may have had all kinds of holiday gatherings to prep for, but I, on the other hand, did not. We barely knew anybody. We had just moved there and I was traveling away for the holidays. So I just envisioned Kenny, me, and our kids just eating as many cookies as we wanted all of the time. On my way home, I decided to reach in my box and grab a cookie to eat as I drove. Of course, I grabbed my own. It was on top, whatever. I took a bite and was like, oh, eh. I looked at the cookie to make sure it was mine. It was, I took another bite. I was like, oh, gross. It tasted horrible, just horrible. I threw it out the window and then grabbed another cookie thinking, oh man, good thing I ate just the one bad one in all of those batches. One bite, ah, I threw it out the window. Something was horribly wrong, but I wasn't sure what it was. I mean, I was sure of one thing. I had just given 14 other women inedible, lazy, no-bake cookies. Cookies they are going to likely put on a tray at one of their fancy pants parties or cozy family gatherings. Cookies that would make their guests want to spit them out the window. But they wouldn't want to say anything because they didn't want to hurt the feelings of their host. Oh, my goodness. I pulled in her driveway and met Kenny coming out to greet me. I handed him the box of 14 dozen good cookies and 10 crappy ones. I didn't say anything, but I asked him to try one. He's usually so complimentary with everything he eats, except for one sandwich I made him, which I'll talk about that. Actually, I'll talk about that in another episode. It was disgusting. Well, that and this time, he took a bite and said, there is something not right here. But what could it be? How could I take a three-ingredient cookie and mess it up? I knew it wasn't just lacking cranberries, I even bought name brand Rice Krispies. I walked into the house, took all three ingredients out of the cupboard because I had overpurchased those while I was busy forgetting paper plates. I was just nervous. I'm like, I don't know how many these things make. I just better buy enough. So I looked at everything. Rice Krispies. Yes. Almond bark. Yes. Peanuts. Yes. Then I was a little closer. Unsalted. Out of the shell. Peanuts. Dang it. <laughs> Apparently the salt was pretty key the peanuts in my cookie were unsalted and actually they weren't even very crunchy and they tasted disgusting you couldn't even eat them but what could i do now nothing nothing <laughs> but remember the story and share it years later as an illustration of matthew 5:13 matthew 5:13 says this you are the salt of the earth but if the salt should lose its taste how can it be made salty it's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Jesus was preaching his Sermon on the Mount, which was quite literally that, a sermon Jesus preached on a mountainside. He had just finished the Blessed Are The section. In fact, I think we're going to need to reread that if we're going to understand the salty passage later. So let me actually start at Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. According to this passage, who's blessed? Who are the blessed ones? The poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted because of their righteousness. Also, we are blessed when people insult us, persecute us, falsely say all kinds of evil against us because of Jesus. We can rejoice because our reward in heaven will be great, just like the prophets who were persecuted before. But can we? Can can people really rejoice when they're persecuted? Apparently. Have you ever read Acts chapter 5? Acts chapter 5 gives us a great example of this. The apostles had been arrested and thrown in jail by the religious leaders. We cannot miss this, all right? The people that are persecuting the apostles, those who are proclaiming Jesus as Messiah, are the religious leaders. The religious leaders were so jealous and so concerned that their authority was being undermined by this new way, by this new one named Jesus that the apostles were preaching about. They were so jealous, they jailed the apostles. The religious leaders were acting against Jesus' people. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors and brought them out. So as soon as they were released, they went back into the temple courts and kept on preaching about Jesus. The religious leaders the next day sent for the apostles in jail, but they found out that they were gone. Another person came and said, okay, those men you arrested and put in jail, you know, the jail that remains locked with guards in front of it, those men are now in the temple courts teaching the people again. So once again, the apostles were brought to the Sanhedrin. Peter began to share with them what he was sharing with the others. He spoke of Jesus and his death on the cross. He spoke of God's call to obedience and the Holy Spirit's witness as well. I encourage you to read Acts 5. It is so good. I'm just paraphrasing and kind of wrapping it up here, but read it later if if you'd like. So what happens? Peter's preaching to them, but the religious leaders now want to kill them. They want to kill them, but instead they just order them flogged, just flogged, because Gamaliel convinced them not to kill them. The apostles then left and they talked amongst themselves. Now picture this, you've been persecuted because of Jesus. You've been preaching and you've been persecuted for not breaking a law, not doing anything that is against the courts or anything, but now you've been flogged even though you knew you were supposed to be killed and they walk away and they start talking amongst themselves. Did they say, oh, no fair. Did they say, we should be able to speak whatever we want about whatever we want to. We're talking about the Bible. Did they look for ways to exercise their rights and condemn those who did not yet believe in the truth of Jesus? Nope. What does scripture say? It says in Acts, the apostles left rejoicing because they have been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, the name of Jesus. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So yes, apparently, when we're persecuted for speaking the name of Jesus, for preaching the good news of Jesus, for proclaiming Jesus is the Messiah, we are blessed and we can rejoice. Doing this, proclaiming Jesus' name, and speaking of the kingdom of God is salty. Again, Matthew 5.13 says, We are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how could it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. What does being salt of the earth look like today? What is salt? Salt's an element that affects what's around it. Its effectiveness is seen when it has effect on its surroundings. Salt's effectiveness is seen in its application on other things. Salt can be used to preserve. It can be used to enhance flavors. We are the salt of the earth. Believer's effectiveness is seen when we have an effect on our surroundings. Believer's effectiveness is seen as we apply the previous truths Jesus taught about being peacemakers and merciful and pure in heart. Jesus is the perfect example of this, and everything really, (laughs) but also on this. What did he do? He left his comforts in heaven, didn't demand to hang on to those, instead emptied himself and walked along on his earth, affecting all those he encountered. He shared the good news of himself by what he said and what he did. Not everyone loved it. Who didn't? Mostly the religious leaders, those who had perfected their religion, to a list of rules that could be followed or not. The religious loved walking around and persecuting those who didn't follow the rules they had superimposed upon God's law. And then by the time the book of Acts came about, they loved persecuting those who are following after Jesus, the long-promised one, the long-awaited one, the Messiah. The religious leaders missed it and persecuted those who were following him. It's interesting in our Christian culture today, isn't it? We hear little bits of this sometimes, and sometimes we hear lots of it. We hear people less concerned about following Jesus and and loving the downtrodden and overlooked like he did. We hear people, Christian people, less concerned about condemning those who are lording spiritual authority over others and more concerned about maintaining any power they see they might have. We hear Christian leaders more concerned about getting butts in their pews and dollars in their plates and less concerned about sitting down next to those in need or giving to the poor. This is not salty. This is self-preservation. This is the kind of salt that's described as no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. We are not here for this. We are not here for ourselves. Salt isn't either. (laughs) Jesus will preserve his own. We need not fight for ourselves. He fights our battles for us. So our energy can be used loving for, caring for, preaching to all those who are around us that Jesus loves them, he saves them, and he wants to live in relationship with them. I'd love to challenge us during this upcoming Christmas season. I'm challenging myself with this. It's not like a really big challenge. (laughs) You're in here and you're like, that's not a challenge, (laughs) but whatever. I do wanna challenge us. Every time we pick up our salt shaker, our little packet in your takeout food, pause for just a second and ask the Lord to continue to use you to affect those who are around you in all the positive ways. Let me just pray for us. Jesus, keep us salty. Keep us affecting those around us toward you. Keep us focused on the good news of who you are, Jesus. Keep us focused on you this holiday season. Give us opportunities to share the good news of a God who came near and stayed near and saves. Help us to faithfully share your message like the apostles did, regardless if it's to a crowd who wants to hear it or to a group of people, maybe even religious leaders that want to kill us or at the very least wish we would stop. Jesus, help us to affect those that you've placed near us wherever we are, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our churches, at work, in our communities. Thank you for the good news you've given to us. Help us to live it and help us to share it. In your name we pray. Amen.